The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you for the next hour. And there's always, at the end of a weekday, a full hour of things to discuss as it relates to the NFL. We'll carve off some of the hour to bring in MDS for a twist on our usual weekly awards. It's kind of hard to come up with offensive, defensive players of the week, rookie of the week, coach of the week, when you only have two games and you got three people trying to come up with their (laughs) own selections. So we came up with new categories just for conference championship Sunday. That's coming up in about 20, 25 minutes. However long we babble throughout this segment, which will be influenced in large part by how long I babble before giving Shireen a chance to speak. And here it is. Hello. Hi, Mike. Happy Tuesday to you. Looking forward to, I wish we had a game this week, but we don't. So looking forward to kind of an off week to get us ready for the Super Bowl. Well, we we have the Pro Bowl this week. Well, it's not really the Pro Bowl. It's the Pro Bowl celebration, (laughs) which is only slightly less physically demanding than the Pro Bowl itself, which has become two-hand touch and pads in recent years. And I've got no problem with that. Why would anyone in their right mind want to play in a Pro Bowl game if they're healthy enough after the season to play another football game? Just Walk away from the table at that point. Don't risk your health. You've got an off season that you'd otherwise like to enjoy. And that's what struck me, Shereen, yesterday when I saw that Cole Beasley had played in the postseason with a fracture in his fibula. It was up near his knee. Sean McDermott, the coach of the Bills, explained today it was up high. It wasn't like a broken leg, like a compound fracture. It was a crack, though, in the bone. Jack Youngblood once played not just yeah. in the postseason and the Super Bowl with the broken leg. He showed up and played in the Pro Bowl with the broken leg because it was his duty as a captain of the team to be there and play. And I I just, the the business realities of the sport, fortunately for the uh, players, have changed dramatically in the past 40 years because from a business standpoint, no player in his right mind should ever consider doing anything like that. That's crazy, Mike. And I did point, I was going to bring up Jack Youngblood as well. You and I are, are old enough, I guess, to remember Jack Youngblood and when he played with that broken leg, and it was quite a feat. And uh, it doesn't surprise you about Cole Beasley either. I was around him for a number of years here in Dallas in the locker room, and he's as tough as anybody is despite his size and has come through a lot and, and played with it. And I'm sure it hurt a lot uh, in, in, the, in the playoffs to play with that thing, but he did it. Glad there is no Pro Bowl that he doesn't have to make that decision. Of course, players today would never play with that, an injury like that in the Pro Bowl. I, I would hope not anyway. Yeah, well, I agree. I wouldn't play in the Pro Bowl with a hangnail. Or let me just take off with a hangnail. <laughs> I wouldn't play in the Pro Bowl, period. Period. Apart from the fact that I never would have had the skill to qualify, if I did, I wouldn't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the freak injury. It's not worth completely disrupting your offseason with surgery and rehab, or if you're going to be a free agent, it completely isn't worth it. It'll be interesting to see if it comes back after the pandemic. I think it will just because 
it generates ratings. Now, here's the reality. The ratings that this Pro Bowl celebration will generate, because you have the dogs and cats in the room with the TV on crowd where, you know, there's just a default number that's going to pop up because people are tuned in even if they're not watching. It'll be interesting to see what the number is on Sunday afternoon and compare that to the Pro Bowl. And like everything else, it'll be a business decision. And if they could get the same rating without having to put on the Pro Bowl itself, maybe they'll explore continuing to do that. These are things to ponder as the years continue to unfold and as the years continue to unfold another thing to ponder will be the future of Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers or some other team he created a storm of something other than sand but it starts with s and has four letters with comments he made on Sunday following the NFC championship loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers he did it no one else did I wouldn't thought anything of it if I didn't see guys like Jason Wildey of ESPN Wisconsin and other seasoned and tenured and experienced beat writers covering the Packers saying on Twitter, whoa, something's going on with Aaron Rodgers. It feels like a goodbye. That's how it hit our radar screen. So once it hit our radar screen, well, I'm going to take care to pay full attention to it and develop it as much as I can. And it became a huge story on Monday. So Shereen, Aaron was on with Pat McAfee earlier today, and Aaron Rodgers addressed the situation. Here's what he said. I'm going to read his quote. He said, among other things, after the season I had, potentially winning MVP, and obviously we made another good run, I don't think there's any reason why I wouldn't be back. But there's not many absolutes, as you guys know, in this business. To make an absolute statement about something that is not an absolute, I didn't do it. I guess that's why it kind of went nuts now look he wasn't asked will you be back next year he wasn't asked that question and he's never been asked that question per se and I I can't remember ever a time prior to Sunday in his career where he had anything that was other than unequivocal about his future he veered into that topic on his own he brought it up no one asked him, will you be back? No one asked him, do you want to stay with the Packers? No one asked him, are you thinking about retiring to be the full-time host of Jeopardy? He went there. And I, I, look, I've got, uh, I would say checkered is probably an understatement of my history with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not afraid to criticize him when he needs to be criticized or to praise him when he needs to be praised. They tend to only notice the criticism, though, Shereen. There's something strange about a level of sensitivity <laughs> yeah. that certain athletes have. But... I've been praising him a lot lately, but I'll tell you what, I, I think this is, I'd like to say the word, I'll just say BS from Aaron Rodgers to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube this way. Sorry, Aaron, great quarterback. I think you should get a new contract. I think you do hold much more leverage than maybe you're willing to admit. And I think what the Packers did to you last year was wrong. But I also think it's wrong for you to act like you didn't light this fire. You lit the fire and ran away. Don't act like you didn't light the fire. Don't act like other people are making too much of it. You did this. So to the extent that you're chagrined or dismayed by the storm of something other than sand but still has four letters and starts with S has happened over the course of the past two days, it's on you. It's not on anyone else. Number one, Mike, as we said yesterday, everything that Aaron Rodgers does is calculated. So... A lot of quarterbacks might come in that room and we say, well, it was the heat of the moment after a tough lot. No, this is Aaron Rodgers. It was well thought out. He knew what he was going to say. He brought it up on his own. That's number one. 
Number two, Mike, there have been absolutes in every other postseason of his career. For 15 consecutive years, we didn't go on the day after the season going, hey, what is Aaron Rodgers' future? That was created when they drafted Jordan Love. Either they have a plan for Jordan Love to become the quarterback of this team or they have a plan to create a Jordan Love trade scenario where they can get additional draft picks for him. I tend to believe that they drafted Jordan Love to take over for Aaron Rodgers at some point in the future, whether that was planned to be in 2021, 2022, whatever. But the the Packers and Aaron Rodgers created this whole scenario of what is Aaron Rodgers' future by A, drafting Jordan Love, and by B, Aaron Rodgers saying what he said after the game on Sunday. And I don't know that what he said today changes anything. Does he want more money? Does he want to trade elsewhere? Does he want more say over personnel and what they're doing in the draft and free agency? I don't know, but he needs to clarify that with the Packers when he meets with them later this week, Mike. And I'm thinking back to his press conference from the aftermath of their blowout loss to the 49ers in the 2019 NFC Championship, where he was upbeat, he was positive, and he said, I think we're going to have one of these soon in the future. Well, but nothing's guaranteed, Aaron. There are no absolutes. How dare you suggest that you will be back with the Packers next year when we know there's a chance you won't be? I So I just think there are layers and layers of bullcrap on his effort to say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, the great and powerful Aaron Rodgers has spoken. I'm not buying it. And I'm entitled to not buy it because, again, he's the one unprompted that said there's a lot of uncertainty with guys futures myself included just leave out myself included and none of this happens what the hell does myself included mean does it mean well I could get hit by a bus tomorrow well yeah that's always implied but other than some sort of debilitating incident keeping Aaron Rodgers from either being alive or playing football There's no reason for anyone, or at least there was no reason for anyone, to think he would not be back with the Packers. He's the one that gave us reason to begin talking about it. And now he's trying to act like, well, you know, you know, uh, come on. It's, you know, and I mean, the attitude was kind of like, well, you know, it's clickbait or it's, you know, people have nothing else to talk about. Baloney. It's on you. You don't like this? It's on you. Not that it's some big deal. Frankly, I appreciate having the content. I'm not going to turn up my nose at the content. But again, don't act like you spilled the milk and now you're wondering why there's a puddle of a white liquid on the floor. (laughs) And Mike, I've, I've thought about this the last 24 hours too. Say you're Aaron Rodgers and you decide, all right, I do want to go somewhere else. I don't like what they did with the personnel. I want to go somewhere else I can win. I'm going to demand a trade. When you look at Deshaun Watson, it's easy to look at all the teams that would be an upgrade for him to have a chance to go win a Super Bowl. To me, when you look at Aaron Rodgers, there are very few teams that he could go to that would be an upgrade over the Packers that would give him a better chance to win a championship than with the Packers. Maybe you talk about the Rams and the 49ers because of the Rams' defense, obviously. 49ers just went there. They're, they're, they had a good year, I think, for what they did. But if the Packers say, absolutely not, we're not trained you to an NFC team, you have to go the AFC, 
You look at the Colts, yeah, that might be an upgrade, but now you're facing Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and all those young quarterbacks in the AFC that you have to go through just to get to a Super Bowl. I don't know, Mike, that there's a better situation for Aaron Rodgers than where he is to try to win another championship. Now, they haven't done it for a really long time. We know that, and he only has one, and he's running out of time. We know that, but I still think the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are a perfect marriage for another year or two to see if they can pull this thing off. And I think what he's looking for, Shireen, and I, I heard last night from someone I trust very much that Aaron Rodgers wants a new contract. And that doesn't mean a gigantic raise. It doesn't mean he's underpaid relative to the rest of the people in society. But when you're at $33.5 million, and Deshaun Watson's at $39 million, and Russell Wilson's at $35 million, and Patrick Mahomes is at $45 million, there's something wrong with this picture. Oh, by the way, the guy we're going to talk about in a minute, Jared Goff, is also at $33.5 million. And as we agreed yesterday, both Goff... <laughs> grossly overpaid and Rogers grossly underpaid and they're meeting at the 33.5 midpoint but he has every right to want something more than just money he wants security and I've said that word PFT live this morning I said it yesterday and I think people confuse that with financial security I know he's got financial security what he's looking for at this point in his career I believe because I would be too is the idea that you're still all in with me and a new contract with significant guarantees and significant cap consequences arising from trading or releasing Aaron Rodgers over the next few years would give him that peace of mind that he knows I can go into 2021 knowing there's a 2022. I can go into 2022 knowing there's a 2023. See, what he's got to ask himself is, how long do I want to do this? And how long do I want to know that the Packers want me to do it? He may want to play until he's 43. Well, they're not going to give him a contract that secures his future for six years. They're not going to do it. But his current contract is secured for one more. One more. That's it. After 2021, all bets are off. They could easily move on from him. No question. We're, we're going with Jordan Love period. They could do that. I think what he wants and I think what he needs, and I know what I would want and need in that same situation, Shereen, is something that says to me, we're with you. You're our guy. This isn't, we're going to run it back one more time. This is, we're going to do it three more times, and then we'll see where we are after that. And I also think, Mike, that he wants the commitment to the personnel, to improving the roster, which he thinks they didn't do in this past draft. I mean, he said that with the drafting of Jordan Love, a quarterback who didn't help him at all this year. Second round, A.J. Dillon came on at the end and probably is going to be a replacement for Aaron Jones next year. So he will pay off and, and be a benefit going forward, but he didn't help him much this year. They need immediate help if they're going to win another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. That much was evident against the Bucs. You have to figure out how to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which you couldn't do twice this year if you want to get to another Super Bowl because we know Tom Brady is back next year, Mike. Yeah, and uh, well, we'll see how it plays out from Rodgers' perspective. From the Packers' perspective, CEO Mark Murphy was on the fifth quarter show on WNFL in Green Bay. Here's Murphy explaining the Packers' position on whether or not there are absolutes as it relates to their desire to keep green, uh, keep Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers. I'll say this. There's no way in heck <laughs> that Aaron is not going to be on the Packers. I mean, he's, he is uh, going to be the MVP of the league. 
might have had his best year ever. He's our unquestioned leader, and, you know, we're not idiots. <laughs> and we're not idiots. Well, then why did you draft Jordan Love, and why did you give up a fourth-round pick to go along with the first-round pick? Although, look, I still think that this was – an effort to light a fire under Aaron Rodgers the same way that drafting Jimmy Garoppolo lit a fire under Tom Brady in his final years with the New England Patriots. But regardless, we know the Packers want him. We know the Packers want him at least for another year. After 2021, that's when they can decide we're ready to do something else. I think Rodgers at his core wants more than that. And that's that's why, whether he did it deliberately or whether he just blurted it out, that's why the words, myself included, were uttered. Because he's getting closer to the point where he doesn't know whether or not his future beyond next year is secured. It's not about next year. It's about the year after next year. I wonder, Mike, what the front office and the coaching staff went into this year thinking. I mean, did they have a thought that all right, if we win the division and lose in the first round, let's go with Jordan Love next year. I mean, was there some thought of that, of moving on from Aaron Rodgers if they didn't do X? It, you know, was there a, a point when they would have moved on from Aaron Rodgers after this year? And, I mean, obviously I don't know the answer to that, but I do wonder that if, if they had something in their heads of we'll be ready to move to Jordan Love if. But I don't know what the practice Yep, yep. There goes Shireen. He's not ready to play. All right. Shireen's cracking up there a little bit. Let's see if we can secure that connection. As we do, I'm going to shift to another quarterback, a quarterback that will be much, much more difficult for the team to move on from because of his contract and the salary cap ramifications of severing ties with Jared Goff. Because, look, you ain't trading him. He's got $43 million in fully guaranteed money, still do. No one's taken on that contract. No one in their right mind has taken on the Jared Goff obligation considering how he's played since signing it. Here is Les Snead, the Rams general manager from earlier today, discussing the status of Jared Goff on the Rams roster. You can't say at this moment that Jared Goff will be on the team in 2021. What I can say is Jared Goff's a Ram in this moment. And I said it's way too early to speculate. The future, that's a beautiful mystery. Les Snead says Jared Goff is a Ram right now. Right now. Well, look, and this dovetails with what Sean McVay, the coach of the team, said after they lost to the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round. There, there is no commitment made to Goff either being the starter or being on the roster. I mean, McVay was given the opportunity to say that Goff will be on the team, and he still wouldn't do it. He said everything's going to be evaluated. But again, Shereen, they cannot get away from this one so easily. If the cap's going to be in the range of $180 million, they can't eat $66 million. And I know there's ways they could do it. They, if they ultimately cut him, they could spread it over two years. And you know, there's different mechanisms for keeping it all from crippling the team now. But, boy, they really don't want to start. They don't want Shireen talking about Jared Goff. They want, it's, they're fine with me talking about Jared Goff. But I just believe that at this point in time, the Rams don't really have many options because of the deal that they did with Jared Goff. They created this mess for themselves, and it's going to be virtually impossible to clean it up. He could be on the team and stand on the bench and I think that's probably the most they can do because, again, you're not finding anyone to take on that contract unless 
you pay a significant chunk of the money that is due to Jared Goff in the coming years. And even then, I just don't know what team out there in plotting all of its various possibilities at quarterback for the 2021 season has front and center Jared Goff. We must go get Jared Goff. Jared Goff is the difference maker for this team. Shireen, welcome back. We missed you. <laughs> yeah, I don't see a team trading for Jared Goff, Mike. You know what I think is going to happen? I think Jared Goff's going to be on the roster, but I'm not certain he's going to be the starter of this team. They can't doesn't preclude them from going out and find a better guy, whether that's John Wolford, whether that's somebody else. But I don't think Jared Goff, based on what we've heard from Sean McVay and Les Snead, is going to be the starter of this team next year. They feel like he made too many mistakes this year, 17 combined turnovers, interceptions, and fumbles, and they've got to do better than that at the quarterback position to be better than what they were this year. Well, the first step was to go get Duck Hodges on the team, which, look, he had some some exciting games with the Steelers in 2019, and maybe he is an upgrade over Jared Goff. Maybe the bar right now is so low. Maybe Sean McVay is so exasperated with Jared Goff that even Devlin Duck Hodges in McVay's mind, would be a step up. A fascinating story. But, it, look, it will be so, so hard for them to get him off that team. I think you're right, Shireen. He could very well be on the team with no guarantee that he's going to be starter. He's going to have to compete for it, and he may be the backup, and he may only play if the starter gets injured. All right, um, let's go ahead and take a break. We, we spent way more time than I thought we would talking about Aaron Rodgers. When we return, we're going to spend some time talking about the championship games awards edition but not the usual categories we've got four new categories for the two games that were played on sunday mds will join us we'll unveil the awards next here on pftpm Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. PFTPM, MDS, joins Shireen Williams and me for our weekly Tuesday installment of awards. But, but. We got rid of the usual categories for today with only two games. We decided on these. And 
th this is the beauty of delegating. All I had to do was ask them, well, suggest some other categories, and they did. And I just said, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. And I kept saying that sounds good until they came up with four of them. And it worked. Call of the week is going to be the first category, then X factor of the week, stat of the week, and missed opportunity of the week. That's what we're going to do. I hope you remember there will be no quiz, but here we go. MDS, you're up first with call of the week. My call of the week is Matt LaFleur calling for the Packers to intentionally jump offside at the two-minute warning on second and one. It was sound late-game strategy. They figure, hey, the thing that really kills us now is a first down and the clock keeps running. Let's just concede the first down on second and one because they'll probably get it anyway with the clock still stopped and then try our luck at stopping them from first and 10. They have to gain 10 yards, not just one. Now, it, it ultimately didn't work. The Buccaneers did get a couple first downs thanks to the late pass interference that truly ended it, but it was sound strategy. And of course, the, the other side of it is the Buccaneers should have declined the penalty Buccaneers weren't thinking that far ahead. The Packers had the right call to jump offside on purpose. And MDS, you predicted that. You called that offsides penalty. I don't know if you I, tweeted I did. it. In you our certainly PFT told us. Thread, I texted everybody else at the two-minute warning, Packers should jump offside here, and they did it. <laughs> they sure did. And I'm going to go on the other side of the coin, MDS. I'm going to go with the box and their decision on fourth and four from the Green Bay 45 at the end of the first half. They had the punting unit on the field. They were going to punt the ball away. Timeout. They rethought it. I don't know if Tom Brady talked Bruce Arians out of the punt, but they go for it. They have the six-yard pass to Leonard Fournette, which set them up on the edge of field goal range, if not in a long field goal range. And, of course, the next play ended up being a touchdown to Scotty Miller when the Packers messed up their defensive formation of what they should have been doing on defense. And so the Bucks ended up with a touchdown out of it. But that could have been disastrous, Mike, for the Buccaneers if they don't get that first down because the Packers would have had enough time to go get a field goal on their own, and it would have been a completely different game with the Packers coming out of the half with the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't have taken that long of a throw to put the Packers in position to make it 14-13 going into the half. That was a gutsy move, and that led to the long touchdown that gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the 21-10 lead. For me, look, I, I was fascinated by the meltdown that we saw from Tom Brady in the second half, and I know that there's apparently some sort of of etiquette in media where you're not allowed to say Tom Brady sucks when he plays sucky, but he sucked on Sunday in the fourth quarter. He had three interceptions on three straight drives, and everyone's afraid to say in that stretch he sucked. He did. And the the brilliance, although it was balanced by the stupidity of Mike Pettin in the first half with the defense that he called on the Scotty Miller touchdown, sending that blitzer, Darnell Savage, and getting him in Brady's face. And this is a lesson to the Kansas City Chiefs. You don't have to hit Brady to get him to make a bad throw. He's so intent on not getting himself injured at age 43, he will bail out. He will get rid of the ball. And I think the long throw that he made in the first half to Chris Godwin, where the Packer player could have caught it, and then Godwin kind of did a, a Lynn Swan light from Super Bowl Ten catch, um, I think that gave Brady the, the, the nerve to just let it fly. And that blitz caused Brady to let it fly, and it caused what was the third interception on three possessions. So even though Pettin may get fired, frankly, for the defense he called at the end of the first half, that decision to send Arnell Savage got 
the Packers the ball back. Now, their failure to do anything with it is a different story, but it got them the ball back, and it was an impressive call at the right time, and I think we'll see more of that with Tyron Matthew and other members of the secondary from the Chiefs. All right, next category, X-Factor of the Week for the conference championship games. MDS, what do you got? My X-Factor was the Buccaneers' backup safeties, Mike Edwards and Andrew Adams. You know, they were down both of their starting safeties. Antoine Winfield missed the entire game. Jordan Whitehead got hurt during the game. And I thought it was really a, a pretty solid effort from two backups going up against Aaron Rodgers. Um, they, they gave up their share of yardage. It wasn't a perfect game. But particularly in the red zone, I thought they played quite well. It was kind of a bend but don't break defense. And I, I think you have to give a lot of credits to two backups in that big a moment playing as well as they did. MDS, I'm going to go the, on the other side of the ball. We know the Buccaneers are missing A.B., and that puts Scotty Miller on the field a lot more than he would have played since A.B. has come onto the team. But the other guy who really stood out for the Bucs and filling in was Tyler Johnson, and he's now done it two weeks in a row. You know, and I only had 12 catches in the regular season. He was targeted twice in the NFC Championship game, had one catch for 16 yards. But, of course, the biggest play of the game was the defensive pass interference penalty he drew on Kevin King. We would have expected that to be Chris Godwin or Mike Evans. Nope, it was Tyler Johnson who drew that penalty, and it was a huge penalty, of course, allowed the Buccaneers to run out the time, Mike. MDS mentioned the backup safeties. One of the reasons the second backup was in the game was because Jordan Whitehead exited with a shoulder injury, but before he left, he forced two fumbles. And the fumble that delivered what felt like the dagger, the ultimate dagger, the Scotty Miller play was the was the kind of shiv in the side. And the this is going to be fairly graphic, but the Jordan Whitehead fumble that he forced on Aaron Jones at the start of the second half was kind of like the ripping of the knife through the bowels, basically. I mean, it was over. It was done, which makes what the Packers almost did even more impressive. But Whitehead, before he exited, did everything he could to help the Buccaneers build that big league. And with Antoine Winfield Jr. out, they needed a spark. They needed energy. I said all week, if the Buccaneers can get back into that mindset, that aggression that they had in the second half against the Saints, that's how they win this game. And Whitehead brought everything he could to the point where he gave up his body literally to uh, to the cause and uh, and helped deliver what should have been the knockout blow and ultimately was was enough for the Buccaneers to hang on and win. All right, stat of the week, conference championship weekend edition. MDS, you're up. My stat is this. In 16 games against all teams other than the Buccaneers, Aaron Rodgers sacked 16 times in those 16 games. Two games, one in the regular season, one in the postseason against the Buccaneers. Rodgers was sacked nine times. That Buccaneers pass rush really had Rodgers' number both in that regular season blowout and on Sunday in the NFC Championship game. I really think that they deserve a lot of the credit for the way that Aaron Rodgers struggled in this game. And uh, I I thought it was impressive to see, and it'll be interesting to see whether they can get that kind of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. We talked all week about the Bills needing to run the ball against the Chiefs, keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, keep the offense on the field, grind it out, something they hadn't done in the regular season. The Bills ended up with 18 carries for 129 yards, which doesn't sound that bad, aside from the fact that Josh Allen had seven of those carries for 88 yards. 
Their running backs did nothing. Sean McDermott talked about that today, that they have to run the ball better. And they do. They were 20th in rushing this season in three playoff games. Allen led them with 145 yards. They have to be better running the ball. Mike, you said this earlier on our text stream. They need a Thurman Thomas, a Thurman Thomas-type player, Roger Craig, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, some player like that who can do it as a receiver and as a runner. But they've got to be yeah, better. When you're developing the kind of passing attack that they have with Josh Allen and the threat that he is to run the ball, if you can complement that with a running back who can catch passes and gain yardage and also run between the tackles, run outside, do it all, it's not like they're easy to find. But, you know, every year there's a guy who pops up out around four, round five, or undrafted who, hey, that guy's pretty good. Well, they need one of those guys, like a James Robinson, undrafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he became a great player. They need to put a large chunk of their scouting effort and budget into finding that kind of a guy. I remember when Devin Singletary was the flavor of the month, and that's the guy that allowed them to move on from LaShawn McCoy. What's he done? Then Zach Moss, he gets injured. Hey, you got to be able to count on your key players in key games. You need a guy who's durable and a guy who's productive, and that's what that Bills offense needs right now. All right, for me, the stat of the week is 290. 290 combined yards, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, almost 300 yards between two players. They call it a pick-your-poison offense. It's not. You're getting both poisons shoved down your gullet like Iocane powder, and you better just hope you build up a resistance to it because they are going to come after you, and your only hope of beating the Chiefs is to somehow outscore what guys like Kelsey and Hill can do. And it's become fashionable in some circles to say that Patrick Mahomes wouldn't be Patrick Mahomes without Kelsey and Hill and that Kelsey and Hill are every bit as good at their positions as Mahomes is at his. And who knows? It gets to be a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing. The bottom line is this. You can't take both away and you can't take one away. You have to deal with the fact that they're both going to get the football and they're both going to do damage, and you better have a plan on offense to do more damage than the Chiefs' offense is doing. Last category for this new look at the weekly awards, missed opportunity of the week. MDS, you're up. My missed opportunity was what I thought was a huge one. Aaron Rodgers, third and goal from the eight-yard line, did not run when it looked like he had a lot of room to run. I can't say for sure he would have scored. I think he would have. If he wouldn't have, I think he at least would have gotten close enough that the Packers would have decided to go for it on fourth and goal and give themselves a chance to tie the game right then and there. Instead, they settled for a field goal on fourth and goal and never got the ball back. I think if Rodgers runs, either he scores or he sets them up for a great chance of scoring on fourth and goal and not running there, I think, was a big missed opportunity. MDS, the Bills obviously had a couple of huge missed opportunities of their own, and that was selling for field goals on fourth and goal from the two and fourth and three from the eight. And we know how that turned out for them. Look, both teams, the Chiefs and the Bills, both had five scoring drives. Kansas City had five touchdowns and a field goal. Buffalo ended up with four field goals and two touchdowns. And I know today Sean McDermott said, well, you lose morale when you don't score at all and you turn the ball over. Well, how about thinking positive? It would have been a bigger boost if they had scored touchdowns on that drive. And you have to look who's on the other side of the field. That's Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP, league MVP, 
36.2 points per game when he started and finished playoff games. Mike, you needed to score a lot of points, and field goals weren't going to be enough. Always against the Chiefs. And I remember back in week one on the Monday night game, week three rather, Ravens-Chiefs. Ravens drive all the way down the field. They get into into the goal line area on a fourth down. They kick a field goal. No, that's not how you're going to beat the Chiefs. You need touchdowns. You need them when you can get them, wherever you can get them. You can't turn up your nose at touchdowns if you want to beat the Chiefs. MDS, back to your point on Rodgers not running on third and goal. We, we, we've been showing the graphic this week of the like the video game version of it and I don't know that he would have gotten in he had Jason Pierre-Paul kind of sealing him off with an angle he had Ndamukong Sue behind him and Sue was closing I think simply because Rodgers slowed down at the line of scrimmage to make the throw even if he didn't score he would have gotten within the five and it may have made it easier to make that decision to go for it especially because if you don't make it what happens the Bucks are so pinned, you're guaranteed to get the ball back because they're not going to do anything all that creative down there and risk a turnover. All right, my missed opportunity of the week relates to two of the three interceptions that happened. I mentioned earlier, Brady had three interceptions on three possessions. The first one, the Packers turned into a touchdown. The next two for the Green Bay Packers, they get the ball back. And what happens on both of them? Three and out. And it's a credit to the Tampa Bay defense. There was a sack on each of those two three and outs. But that was the opportunity. That's what you need. That's what you have to have as you're trying to dig out of this hole. You get a turnover and you got to turn it into points. And that's why we should have never even been to the fourth and eight play and what should they have done. The Packers should have won that game by seven or ten or more points. This was this had the potential to be the kind of reversal that the Chiefs had against the Texans last year in the divisional round with the Tom Brady meltdown. And can you imagine what the storylines would be if the Buccaneers had an 18-point lead and blew that lead and lost by seven or ten because of three straight Tom Brady interceptions and the Packers missed the opportunity not just to win the game and finish the comeback, but to also maybe deliver the knockout blow to Tom Brady. Maybe he's the one who would have been saying, myself included, as it relates to uncertain futures after that loss if they had blown that one. All right, we've got uh, plenty more PFT PM to come. MDS, thank you for joining us as always. Shereen Williams is going to stick around. We've got plenty more to go, including answering some questions that were served up via Twitter. We'll be back with more PFT PM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. 
Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Congratulations, Jennifer, on your new promotion with the Washington football team. Become the first black woman to coach full-time in the NFL. In a new history-making job, you will inspire generations of children because if you can see it, you can be it. As our new Vice President Kamala Harris says, she will be the first in her new role, but she won't be the last. And the same holds true for you. So I'm so happy for you. Keep going for it. That's Billie Jean King congratulating Jennifer King, who is now the assistant running backs coach of the Washington football team. First black woman full-time position coach in NFL history. And look, we see that the pipeline is beginning to be filled. Not dramatically, but we're seeing more and more spots pop up where females are getting opportunities to coach at the NFL level. And I said this to Sims today, and I hope I live long enough to see it. It's just a matter, just because I hope to live as long as I possibly can. But I think over time, what will happen as the pipeline fills up, you will see which ones have the skills, which ones have the ability in competition with all the other coaches. That's how it works. You rise, you rise, and you rise. And then before you know it, what happens? You're in consideration to be an NFL head coach. So it takes more in the pipeline. Now, will we get to a point where the ultimate door at the top of the organization isn't as easily opened as we're seeing with black coaches currently when there are plenty of qualified candidates for head coaching jobs and they can't get them? That may become an impediment. But Shireen, It's just a matter of time as we see it become normalized at the at the assistant level, which is great. That means over time, eventually, there's going to be somebody who has the chops and and has the right thing, the right quality to run a football team. It's a rare gift, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of anything. There are many people who can do it. It's just a matter of time before there'll be a female head coach. And it's been so exciting, Mike, this year. I mean, we've seen it with the vice president and and now with uh, Jennifer King doing what she's doing. The first female full-time coach, Lori Locust, is going to coach in the Super Bowl. She's assistant uh, defensive line coach for the Buccaneers. Last night, we had two NBA officials in the same game, first time ever in the same game, two female officials officiated an NBA game. And we're going to see it in the Super Bowl with Sarah Thomas. So this is an exciting time for women. And at some point, Mike, like you said, we quit talking about all these first. And and we get to talk about, hey, they were the best at doing the job. Not the best woman, but they were the best at doing the job. And that's why they got the job. And look, there's, there's still plenty of outdated thinking and attitudes in society. And I think as time passes, I, let me put it as gently as possible. All the people who think that way will be dead. I, don't, I mean, maybe I could have put it more <laughs> gently than that. But, but that's kind of how society progresses. And we get past outdated mindsets that were influenced by, I don't know, the even more outdated mindsets that preceded them. And society develops and evolves to a point where people of goodwill, people of good faith realize that 
differences like gender and race aren't differences. It doesn't matter. And we're getting there for the NFL. And look, of all sports, Shereen, I thought the NFL would be bringing up the rear because the whole locker room, like the 1950s and just all the, you know, the stuff we're in about the Washington franchise, the, the animal house on steroids attitude that is coming up in the investigation from time to time. We get new bits and pieces about that. It's just good to see the NFL almost positioning itself to be a leader and not a follower in an area like this. Yeah, I think it's the NBA and the NFL have been leaders in this, and, and it's exciting to see the other sports have fallen behind, and they've got to catch up. So an exciting time to be alive for sure, Mike, and we're starting to see a lot of change. It's fun. Well, and speaking of being alive again, our mutual goal since we were born the same year is to be alive long enough to see yes. a female head coach in the NFL. So get cracking, NFL. We'll answer some questions out of the mailbag when PFTPM continues right after this. The latest episode of Sports Uncovered is now live. My favorite Kobe story on the one-year anniversary of his death. Interviews with former teammates, coaches, opponents, and writers. Check that out wherever you find your podcasts. And we know where to find some good questions. We just put a post on our Twitter account, and we wait. Sometimes you have to kiss a few frogs, but it's worth it. Or, or sometimes you have to kiss a few frogs that are giving you the middle finger, but sometimes it's worth it. At Nyata Thomas asks, should the Dolphins take Devontae Smith number three overall in the 2021 draft? Before we ponder that, let's hear from Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, the team that holds that third pick, thanks to the Texans, regarding the size or lack thereof of the Heisman Trophy winner. So what was the question about his size? As how much is that a hindrance compared maybe to his his production on the field, and how do you do that? You know, dynamic. If you're, if you're, if you're a good player, and I mean, you know, you can nitpick all you want about a guy's size, or you know, good players are good players are good players. Cam, I think I think we all can see that this guy's a very good player. Uh, he made a lot of plays in college. He made a lot of plays in the you know big games, biggest games of the year. Yeah, I mean, you can nitpick all day about, you know, things on one people. Uh, he's, a good, he's a very good player. And it's, it's been good getting to know him, too. He's a good kid, too. Yeah, look, I'm not troubled about the size, and I'm surprised he declined to be measured or weighed at the Senior Bowl today. He's going to do it at the Alabama Pro Day. I don't know. Do they have some special scale there? Do they have some special <laughs> some special measuring stick? Are you going to be heavier? Are you going to be taller? I know how to get heavier. Trust me. The holidays proved that to me yet again. I don't know how to get taller short of flying into space for a few days and letting your spinal column decompress without gravity to pull it together. Other than that, I don't know what he can do, but I'm not troubled by it. Look, I don't care. The guy's spectacular. Deshaun Jackson, still one of the most explosive players in the NFL in his mid-30s. It's speed, it's suddenness, it's agility. If they can't get to you, they can't hit you. So it doesn't matter how small you may be, Shereen. 
Absolutely, Mike, and they're probably going to have an opportunity to draft him, and it makes sense on so many levels. Heisman Trophy winner, going to sell tickets, which you need to do. He's a former teammate of Tua at Alabama, did great things with Tua there, and just an outstanding player. So it does make sense on many, many levels if they decide they're not going the quarterback route, which it sounds like they're not with that third overall pick. And, of course, they have a later pick in the first round and can do something with that pick. So it does make sense for the Dolphins to take Devontae Smith, Mike. Well, they could send both picks to the Texans for Deshaun Watson. Now, Smith was on NFL Network earlier today, and he said that he's spoken to Tua Tonga-Vailoa about running it back, about getting back together. Now, that assumes that the Dolphins are sold on Tua over the long haul. But Smith, an electric player, but we get into these tired, old stereotypes, and it's, it's, it's a CYA process when it comes to scouting players in the draft. You never want to take that chance on a guy who's small because then if he's a bust, what happens? You get called into the principal's office and they're like, why did you recommend we take the small guy? It's too easy to say in that setting he failed because he was small. Well, maybe he would have failed if he was 6'4". So that that's what it, it seems to be so much, Shereen. It's about scouts covering their butts and they are afraid to recommend a guy who, if he doesn't work out, it's easier to dot the line back to, well, you were too stupid to recommend a guy that we never should have wanted because he's not big enough. Usually this conversation is about quarterbacks, Mike, and I I do wonder if we would be even having this conversation if he had measured today because he's big enough, and I don't know that there's any question about whether he's big or or not, and I don't know if it would have been a question if he actually got there and, and, and measured today. The guy can play, and that's the bottom line. He was spectacular in the first half of the game against Ohio State. He had three touchdowns, 200-plus receiving yards, 12 catches, and he left only because of a fluke thing where his fingers got caught up in an opponent, and that had nothing to do with size. Uh, That had everything to do with every once in a while, and I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Your fingers get all jacked up when you run into somebody at full speed. Nick Andrews has a question about Matthew Stafford, and this is a good question on the surface. Well, And I'm not saying it's a bad question deeper than the surface, but it's a fair point to ask. If Khalil Mack, Jalen Ramsey, and Jamal Adams all got two first-round picks in trade over the past couple of years, why do people think that Matthew Stafford will go for less than that? Let me take the first crack at this one, Shereen. I think he could go less than that because this is about – the two sides are definitely going to separate. So the question becomes, what's the best offer that the Lions will get from a team that Stafford is willing to play for? And it may just not be two first-round picks. We don't know how many teams are going to come to the table. There's too many other options out there on the market for for teams to gravitate toward. How many teams ultimately are going to say, we're in on this. We're going to show up for the auction for the Matthew Stafford contract. So it has nothing to do with a team saying, well, hey, we'll, we'll just keep him. I mean, I think that was the attitude for some of these other trades. No, you've got to give us two first-round picks or we're just going to keep him. The Lions aren't going to keep him. It's too late for that. They've got to find the best deal that they can make with the team that Stafford will play for, and it comes down to those two teams or three teams or four teams or many teams to determine what the price tag is as they compete with each other. Yeah, Mike, first of all, it takes a team to make that offer, and I just don't see a team making that offer of two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford. The other three players we're talking about are the, are the best or close to the best players at their positions, and that's why they got what they got. And, as you said, 
based on, hey, we'll just keep them until you give us an offer we can't refuse. And that's what happened. So when you look at Matthew Stafford, Mike, we're all assuming that he's an upgrade, that he's a really good quarterback who was held down by the talent around him at Detroit. Are we certain that's the case? I don't know. This guy's made one Pro Bowl, and I know you texted the other day. You were surprised when you looked that up that he had only made one. Jared Goff's made two Pro Bowls. Everybody makes the Pro Bowl. Matthew Stafford has made one Pro Bowl. That came in 2014. The last three years, he's 14-25-1. I would have to take a deep dive into this guy, also his injury history, to determine if he, A, can stay on the field, and B, why their record was what it was with Matthew Stafford at quarterback. I do have a lot of questions. First guy I'd want to talk to, if I was thinking about Matthew Stafford, is Reggie Bush. Because there were two different things from Reggie Bush's time with the Lions that stand out to me. One, at a time when the Lions were struggling, Reggie Bush, who brought a Super Bowl ring with him to Detroit, something the Lions haven't even had the chance to play for in their history. Bush suggested that they have a players-only meeting, and Stafford's attitude was, eh, we don't need one of those. Okay, I'll defer to the guy who's got the Super Bowl win, who's been part of a team that knows how to get to the top of the mountain. Secondly, when Bush was done in Detroit, he said that team lacks chemistry. Now, I don't know how much of that is on Stafford. And I mentioned today on PFT Live, it's entirely possible in building the team over the years, they neglected to search for guys who would become leaders because Matthew Stafford in the Peyton Manning to Eli Manning scale, where Peyton is the sheriff and Eli is the deputy who just wants to go home and watch Seinfeld, where does Matthew Stafford land? I think he's far closer to Eli. So you need others who can lead. But I'd want to know, why it was that Reggie Bush thought that, and what kind of a leader Reggie Bush thinks Matthew Stafford is. He played with Drew Brees. He played with Matthew Stafford. How do they compare? Because you better have a great leadership arrangement in your coaching staff, Shireen, and in your locker room if if you want to get the most out of Matthew Stafford because I don't think you can expect the leadership to come from him. And that's not judgment. That's not criticism. That's just reality. And he's got to be an upgrade, Mike, over either A, what you have, B, what you can get on the free agent market or in a different trade with some other team or C, what you can get in the draft. So there are a lot of options for teams to go out and find quarterbacks. So Matthew Stafford's got to be your best option. And I just don't think he's going to be that quote unquote best option for very many teams. And also one last point as we slide off the air for today, not all first round picks are the same. You know, if the Jets would call up and offer their first round pick, the one that they earned, earned this year, that's the second overall pick. Of course, you're going to take that if you're the Detroit Lions. Pick 31, maybe not. All right. Thank you for picking us over the course of the last hour. It's PFTPM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio. We'll see you again tomorrow. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.